Welcome to the show, everyone. Moving at 1,041.66 light years per hour through the films of Harrison Ford, it's the Ford Fiesta. I'm Adam the Wit, Omaker Wit. And I'm Paul Press 10 from Navarone. Today we talk about the most influential movie of all time, the star-making, industry-changing masterpiece, Star Wars. A movie so big, we needed another guest. It's been a few episodes since we had someone join us, but we definitely wanted this guy to weigh in on the biggest movie ever made, co-founder of the Good People Association and author of Why We Love Star Wars, The Great Moments That Built a Galaxy Far, Far Away, Ken Knapsack. Now, as ever, a little housekeeping, or a reminder that uh, you help the show when you comment, like, or subscribe wherever you can on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, all the places that we're putting the show out there. And of course, check out themovieguys.net for more uh, from us and follow at themovieguys all over social media. If you're listening to this show and you're like, man, this show is made for me. Paul and I seek to put a show that's like, Absolutely for us, because we know we're not alone in our love of Harrison Ford and, and how much we treat this stuff. So get out there, just talk about it a little bit, and let people know about this great show. Now, uh, do you need a recap of Star Wars? Of course not, but we're going to give you one anyway. That's coming up, but first... What's new in the world of Harrison Ford? Paul? Well, it's been a minute, but we all saw Harrison Ford recently at the Oscars, presenting the Oscar for Best Editing. And, uh, you know, notes from the same studio executives who thought it was very important to put pants on a Wookiee. <laughs> and he did a whole comedy bit about the notes from Blade Runner, which I thought was fun, that the executives gave him dopey notes, you know. And now, of course, they've messed around with Blade Runner three or four times to, to where I actually think the final cut, I think was the name of the latest one, is my favorite. I think I like that one, the, the final cut. But isn't it fascinating, an era where you can have all these various cuts? Didn't Coppola just do a, a, a re-edit of The Cotton Club? Like, all right, uh, why he not? Did Godfather 3, for sure. The, the, yeah. The, uh, what was it called? The Death of Michael Corleone is now what it's, what yeah. it's subtitled. It's, uh, apparently it's better, but am I going to find out? Probably not. <laughs> I never thought Godfather 3 was that bad. It, it had a... It had a bad reputation. I took that into the screening of it, but I've realized the whole time I'm like, well, I'm letting other people whisper in my ear instead of just watching this movie. You know? Oh, here's some really interesting Harrison Ford news. Okay, now Harrison Ford partnered with Wyoming Whiskey as a creative director for a launch of four new labels of Wyoming Whiskey. It's a big brand of whiskey out there, and they're called the National Parks Limited Edition American Whiskey and Wide Open Spaces Uh these four labels, a wide open spaces by air. So what happened was there's a guy named Tuck. I think his name is like Tuck Fauntleroy. He's a photographer. Okay. He went up over the national parks up by where Harrison Ford lives because he lives in Jackson. Because Harrison Ford Wyoming. owns half of Wyoming, right? Yeah. I mean, he does owns like half of Wyoming. So they took shots of the Grand Tetons, shots of the Yellowstone Lake, one of the uh, Snake River, I believe, and some other places. And this, these were going to be photos that were on the label of this special four bottles of of Wyoming whiskey and Ford picked the photos specifically that were going to be on the label because 
10% of the profits of the entire sale of all these goes to the national parks. And he's big into environmentalism, as you know. And I have been to eight national parks in the last year, so I was fired up to find out all about this. I know my girlfriend loves whiskey. She and I love the national parks, plus Harrison Ford. I bought a bottle. And it's great. And it's, uh, well, I mean, I guess she told me it's great. I don't drink. But she loved it. She thought it was fantastic. (laughs) And it looks great on the shelf. It's got this picture of the Grand Tetons on the front. So she thought it was fantastic. But the four specific bottles came in these, like, ridiculously ornate wooden casks. And he went online to auction them off with uh, the people behind the whiskey and the photographer. And I can't imagine what they went for. <laughs> like this one, yeah. it said Harrison Ford edition or whatever on the bottle. Like it was a whole big thing he got involved in recently. So he's uh, he's in the news. You know? Wow. Wow. That's really cool. And it's very Harrison Ford. I mean, again, he owns half of Wyoming. He's a big environmentalist and uh, he loves him some national parks. Yeah. And so do we. So uh, that was a cool purchase. And, and the national parks, the general national parks line, not one of the four bottles that there's only one each of, yeah. which you know where you're forwarding, uh, I can imagine. But the National Parks line is out there, so go check it out, Wyoming Whiskey. And, of course, we have a lot going on with Indiana Jones 5. More cast members were announced. I think last time we talked about Mads Mikkelsen and Thomas Kretschmann. Now Boyd Holbrook, who was one of your villains in Logan, is oh. on board. And Seanette Renee Wilson, one of the Dora Milaje from the Marvel films, is on board. And don't know how, don't know what they're doing, but they're, they, they're in. And so am I, as you can imagine. <laughs> wow. The, the first Disney produced Indiana Jones 5 has a ton of Marvel actors in it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. which is cool. Yeah, Kretschmann from the Captain America. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Mads from Doctor Strange. They're all. Yeah, they've always rumored an Indiana Jones five, but they didn't physically start production until you and I started the Ford Fiesta podcast. That's right. It's I'm us. saying we're putting this out there. <laughs> we're doing it. The rumors about plot, of course, involved the space race. Who knows what? But there, there are photos from the set of the set. Well, then the photo of the set of him yeah. on set, yeah, in the outfit, is out there. And I'm like, I don't want too many spoilers, but I think no. I had to see just. That And our reaction, of course, was what you always react to when you see Christopher Reeve in the Superman outfit, who's just standing there. And you say, uh, how is he doing that? How, how, is, he do that? how is that possible? How does he do that? How does he do <laughs> What's that? What's he doing? Nothing. Yeah, but Nothing. How does he do it? And Harrison Ford in that iconic costume. Same thing. I don't even know how he does it, but he's so magical. It. So magical to see him in that costume again. My God, that costume is just carved out of movie marble. Yeah. And all that, all the biking we've been talking about in this show, you know, he biked from Tijuana to Cabo. He's got himself in a great shape. It's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. James Mangold, I mean, forget about it. Just like J.J. Abrams, you've got a legitimate fan of the series who just wants to do honor, wants to honor all that has come before with this by presenting what he loved about the originals. You know, that's J.J. Yeah. in Star Wars too. You know, it's. Uh, it's 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 gonna be special. It's gonna be a hell of a year plus, which sucks, but it'll be a hell of a year while we. I mean, what it. what if this Ford Fiesta ends on Indiana Jones Five? It just times out perfectly. We could start getting end. lazy, yeah, and make sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you Google Harrison Ford news, and that's where the weird stuff comes up. Uh, before he started shooting, he was spotted. He was spotted by the Daily Mail biking in Manhattan Beach. I told you he was biking, so I bike all over hell. Since I started dating Susan, she's a big biker. We bike. And, you know, I just did Griffith Park here a little while ago, biked all over the place. I don't run into Harrison Ford. Why have you not run into Harrison Ford? I don't know. According to Daily Mail, he's all over the place. I can't run. I don't know. You'd think you would at this point. Keep biking. Keep biking. 
Anyway, one more quick reoccurring show segment before we get to our breakdown of Star Wars. This date in Ford history. Now, uh, May 13th, 1970, Getting Straight is released. May 14th, Willard Ford is born and his dad is Han Solo. There's a life. Um, <laughs> but uh, this was in 70 and 69. But let's get more recent. June 12th, 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark is released. The 40th anniversary is this year, so look for it in theaters. The great thing about living in Los Angeles is I see Raiders of the Lost Ark on a big screen every year. And that's why I will not move. Even last year, pandemic, went to the drive-in, saw it. So do not miss it on the big screen. You did not miss an actual screening of Raiders of the Lost Ark in last year of all years. But Paul, that's everything I need to know about you. (laughs) Exactly. And everyone who doesn't know me, Know that coming in. Uh, but now a 40th anniversary. I don't know if it's going to get some major re-release, but it's already on the app for AMC theaters. Ooh. There's no screenings assigned to it, but the poster's there, and you can click on it. And So one of these days, the theaters will show up, and the uh, and the show times will show up, and then check what it if out, this man. What if this coincides with our episode on Raiders of the Lost Ark? And we actually go, see, instead of just streaming, as we have for all these other movies, we actually go see. We'd have Rose to haul ass. <laughs> <laughs> we're, still, we're still about seven or eight movies away. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, you know, also, uh, there are release dates to movies that are having their anniversary all over the place, scattered all over. I mean, since uh, we did the last show, I mean, stuff like Patriot Games came out in 92, and uh, Empire Strikes Back came out, and then even just recently, June twelfth, nineteen eighty one. Not as big as June twelfth. Uh, sorry, June twelfth, nineteen eighty one was Raiders. A later June twelfth saw Six Days, Seven Nights. June tenth in two thousand three saw Hollywood Homicide. Ford's all about the summer. I love that era when the summer came out, and you just knew all your favorites were going to be in something. Oh, what's this summer's? What's this summer's Mel Gibson movie? What's this summer's Arnold, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Sandra Bullock? And then Harrison Ford, like they just, what was their movie going to be that summer? We could call that the premier magazine era of, of film. Totally. Basically, right? Totally. And then they'd be on the cover of the magazine, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I like the star days. And what, what were they doing? Is it going to be a comedy? Is it going to be action? Is it going to be both? Is it some sci-fi? I mean, a drama, you never know what you're going to get from the big star in their summer movie. Yeah. What's this year's big Tom Cruise movie? Not like, what's the new uh, thing that also stars Tom Cruise? You know? yeah, <laughs> what's exactly. the new mummy? What's the uh, launch of the new universe that also stars Tom Cruise? But strangely, what a lot of people were tweeting about this week were posting photos of Harrison Ford's broken leg from June 11th, 2014, when he broke his ankle on the set of The Force Awakens. All you CGI complainers. Oh, you hate CGI so much. You're not going to be happy to you break Harrison Ford's leg, are you? <laughs> With a physical door. Wasn't CGI. Was everybody happy that day? Did a crew member push the door onto his leg? Because, you know, I've seen... I went to a taping of Frasier. His elevator doors aren't mechanicals. A couple of guys is opening and shutting them. Right. So, so did somebody go... <laughs> just, like, push the door on Harrison oh, Ford's well, leg? Well, it must have been... My assumption was always... And I've never seen the, the door or, or what one it was or what scene that was. I never even thought about that. It's too horrific to think about, frankly. I don't want to uh, think about Harrison Ford getting hurt. No, no. I mean, it scares the hell out of me that he crashed an airplane into a golf course, and we almost lost him that day. Hardly. He walked out like, oh, where's... Where, like, someone call the cops. You know, whatever. He didn't... He, wa- he walked out and went, four. <laughs> <laughs> he had some cool line, but, but I guess it was pretty heavy because J.J. Abrams tried to lift it off of him and couldn't and hurt his back. Hmm. So... It must have been a really heavy door. Boy, they really didn't want to go CGI. See what happens? You see what happens, Lebowski? See what happens, kids. Yeah. 
See what happens with your analog film production. Unlike the last few movies we've discussed, or uh, half a dozen or so, we don't really need to say, Now, I know you're asking, what the hell is Star Wars? So instead, we'll just go to our patented Movie Guys recap. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a kid on a desert planet blows up the Death Star. All right. Oh, okay, there's a lot more that happens in between there. Adam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, the movie begins with A New Hope. A New Hope? Isn't this the first movie? How can we bring in something new to a galaxy we're unfamiliar with? Everything's new Paul, in Paul, this Paul, uh, Paul. galaxy. We've, we've got five Star Wars movies to cover on this show. What you should be focusing on is the evil galactic empire and their space station capable of destroying an entire planet. What I like to call a Death Star. Princess Leia Organa has the schematics and can use them to destroy the Death Star, but her ship is intercepted by an Imperial Star Destroyer and the evil Darth Vader. <laughs> Vea takes Leia prisoner, but not before she hides the Death Star plans in R2-D2 and sends the droid and his droid companion C-3PO together to Tatooine. Is it Leia or Leia? They say Leia, don't they, in the movie? I hear they do Leia say Leia. Leia. It's regional. I've heard George Lucas didn't correct anybody's it's pronunciations regional. on set because he said it was regional. It's true. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. It's regional to parts of the galaxy. I guess mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh, the droids are captured by Jawas. <laughs> And end up in the care of a grumpy Republican moisture farmer and his nephew, Luke Skywalker. I'm with you too. While cleaning the droids, Luke finds a holographic message of Leia, or Leah, requesting the help of Obi-Wan Kenobi, who he sets off to find. Luke is attacked by Tusken Raiders. Raiders! But is saved by Ben Kenobi, who reveals himself to be Obi-Wan, from whom Luke is introduced to the Force. It's an energy field created by all living things. Sensing that they have a growing relationship evolving here, Obi-Wan then decides it would be a pretty good idea to lie to Luke about his father being killed by Darth Vader. You want it sugar-coated or right between the eyes? But since having the power to communicate with all living things would be worthless if all living things were destroyed by the Empire, the duo get back to the task at hand, delivering the plans to Princess Leia on her home planet of Alderaan. Road trip! Since Luke's car is a Pinto incapable of hyperspace travel, Obi-Wan and Luke look for a galactic Uber driver at a wretched hive of scum and villainy. But since Uber corporate is on Earth, they go to Mos Eisley Spaceport instead. Obi-Wan shows Luke that the Force is useful for more than opening up a story's mythology at the end of the first act. It can get you past the bouncer at the club. I believe it was Anton Chekhov who said, If in Act 1 you give the Chosen One a lightsaber, in the second act you're going to have to cut an arm off with it. And I believe it was Pavel Chekhov who said, He put things in our ears. After Obi-Wan drops the amount of arms in the bar to an odd number, or considering this bar, maybe an even number, they get on to the task at hand, introducing the main character. Y'all ready for this? He's as commanding as a bellhop. Paging Mr. Ellis. As rogue as a hippie. Hi. Quicker on the draw than a firing squad. Fire! Damn it, fire! With the swagger of a cowboy. He's uh, gonna be mean when he wakes up, Buck. And the charm of a scoundrel. The tenacity of a brusque aide. Nice Christmas cookie, sir. I made you want one. Give it up for the best of Harrison Ford, completing this journey from obscurity to take the stage as... On Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Harrison Ford moves up to lead actor for the first time in this podcast and immediately becomes the biggest movie star of all time, playing one of the most famous characters in cinema history in the biggest movie ever made in one single performance. Also, Chewbacca. 
What's a Chewbacca? A Wookiee? What's a Wookiee? Welcome to Star Wars. After significantly shorter negotiations than The Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan and Han agree on a price. But before Han can take off, his pass catches up to him when a bounty hunter working for Jabba the Hutt moves in for the kill. What's a Jabba the Hutt? We'll explain when you're older. Accounts vary as to who shot first, but this is the Ford Fiesta, so Han shot for- Hold on. I'm being handed something from the Special Edition Legal Counsel McCallum & Associates. To avoid interfering with an ongoing case, we ask that media reporting on the case not definitively state the order of shooting in the Cantina incident. Well, somebody got shot, and it wasn't Han Solo. Obi-Wan, Luke, and the robots narrowly escape Mos Eisley aboard the Millennium Falcon while being attacked by a patrol of stormtroopers. Having to return gunfire to get me safely into a rideshare, that'll dock him a star. When Grand Moff Tarkin's methods of persuading Princess Leia to give up the location of the rebel base by drugging her and asking nicely, falter, he pulls a page out of How to Win Friends and Crush Your Enemies and blows up her home planet. Arriving at the ruins of Alderaan, the Millennium Falcon doesn't have time to ponder whether it's always looked like that or has let itself go, because they are sucked into the Death Star quicker than you in a conversation about crypto at a work urinal. The gang decides to tick a few things off their to-do list. Disable the tractor beam, rescue the princess, and get R2-D2 to a planet that's not blown up. But first, to make sure one of them dies, they split up. Team Jailbreak puts together a plan to secretly and quietly break Princess Leia out of prison by letting a rampaging monster loose and shooting as many people and things as possible. Maybe they're not good at this. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan sneaks past hundreds of troops and shuts down the tractor beam, and also the Death Star Muzak on general principle. The only way he could get caught is if there was another Jedi also connected to all living things, but particularly the living thing that cut off his arms and legs and left him on fire in lava. <gasps> Damn it! As if there weren't enough cliffs to hang from, Han, Luke, and the princess escape the Death Star by being crushed in a box full of monsters and swinging over a bridge that's out. That's when the title match gets underway. Kenobi vs. Vader 2, Rumble and Bay 327. Obi-Wan is no match for the younger Jedi and his performance-enhancing robot body. Darth Vader strikes him down, making him more powerful than Darth could possibly imagine. But not after first making him less alive than was easily imagined. At which point Star Wars, worried that it's boring you, picks up the pace by throwing our heroes into a space battle unlike anything the audience who hadn't seen the last 20 minutes of this movie had ever seen. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo take down the pursuing TIE fighters with the type of skill that would make a lesser man cocky and make their way to Yavin 4, a planet with, presumably, three prequels. Finally, Princess Leia gets R2-D2 to the Rebels. Remember that? It's a movie about that. An analysis of the plans reveals a weakness in the battle station, the tailpipe. And the Rebels hatch a plan to put a banana in that tailpipe. Basically, send a bunch of AMC Pintos to take down the Chrysler building. Feel like you haven't seen enough war in a movie with war in the title? The pilots of the Red Squadron remedy that with a dazzling display of World War II dogfights. But with spaceships... Unless you saw the rough cut before the special effects were finished, in which case, you saw World War II dogfights. In a dazzling 20-minute sequence full of special effects, sound effects, and cinematic montage, half of which would be more excitement than any other movie audiences in 1977 had ever seen, short of the first hour and 45 minutes of Star Wars. One after another, the X-Wings take their shot, like flies trying to defeat a bug lamp. All rebels are killed or taken out except for Luke Skywalker who zeroes in on the exhaust port with former pod racer Darth Vader zeroing in on him. It seems the mission has failed until... Obi-Wan tells him to use the Force? We're going to save that for the Alec Guinness Jubilee. This podcast is about... Harrison Ford! Han Solo swoops in to save the day, shooting the remaining TIE fighters and sending Darth Vader spinning off into space. I want the movie to end with a big explosion. 
That was oh, a good man. description of Star Wars. Twist our arms to talk about the greatest movie of all time. In fact, you know, I talk, I ask everybody on the old podcast we used to do, and I continue to do this when I interview people, what's your favorite movie of all time? And it has to be noted that when you ask someone that question, besides Star Wars, is inferred, right? Like, it's just, <laughs> what's your favorite movie of all time? Like, what's your favorite music group uh, besides the Beatles? But uh, we're going to speak a lot here as we bring in our guest, as we talk about the film, run down some of the aspects that make Star Wars great. So joining us, as promised or threatened, is the author of Why We Love Star Wars, The Great Moments That Built a Galaxy Far, Far Away, now available everywhere you get books. And where is that, you might say? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. He's a movie talk force to be reckoned with, no pun intended. Uh, he's all over the web, including the Good People Association, which he co-founded. Ken Napsok is with us. Ken Napsok! Hey, boys! I feel so um, just lame because I'm a giant Star Wars fan and a giant Beatle fan, and, and those are usually the answers. But you're right, Paul. You, you have to almost put them on a shelf, and then you answer when Harry met Sally. <laughs> it's like Anthony Hopkins winning the Oscar. You know, say what you want about the, how they set it up yeah. for a different outcome, but the guy... It's like boring to say he's brilliant at this point. Yeah. It's like saying Streep, you know, you can't yeah. deny how great he is in The Father. You can't deny the greatness of Star Wars. I'm glad you're here yeah. to talk about it with us. I'm so happy to be here. And as a Han Solo guy and a Harrison Ford fan and a fan of just grumpiness in general, I'm happy to be here for that. But let's talk about the Good People Association. Give us a quick plug on that, Ken, so we can, people can check out what you're doing because it's it's a noble and necessary thing in these times. It's a whole network. Yeah. It's a whole thing. You have a set and everything. Yeah. Yeah, we have a set. We have three sets, actually, in, in one. And uh, it is a uh, digital brand production company slash empire fund started by me, Mark Riley, Josh McCuga, and Eric Bass of the band Shinedown. We do a lot of um, focus on charity work and, and, and making people laugh and, 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 and entertaining people, but also finding the positive stories and finding the good. We do it all. And then also we play, uh, you know, a board game we're trying to create. So it's just kind of silly. We're over there at the, the GPA.fun, which is a real website. I uh, did not know you could do that until we did that, but dot fun is real, uh, and that's what we got going on. And I have to put a plug out there for the show Internet for Old People because I've already been on right. it. Great premise for a show. Dig up yep. old pieces of pop culture and ephemera and throw them across the panel, and it's yeah. just it's perfect entertainment. That was a lot of fun. It's there, yeah. It's not a it's not a show that's just about uh, let's make jokes about MySpace. It's that as well. But yeah, just I think this is our shared languages. And Star Wars: A New Hope is one of the things that I really that era kind of began that where we grew up with that as little kids, and we didn't leave it because it meant everything to us. And it we shouldn't leave it because it's valuable lessons and, and fables of our time. And so that's what I love discussing there, and can't wait to discuss it. You know, it's almost like you know, two weeks ago we discussed uh, American Graffiti. And mm. that that immediate nostalgia didn't really have a home yet. There were all these people yeah. that were like, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. But nobody had quite exploited that. And it's amazing that Lucas did that for his generation, but then gave us something. Well, look, and, and my pal, uh, Joseph Scrimshaw, over uh, on the Four Center podcast feed, where uh, I, I hold down uh, Star Wars conversations there, Joseph pointed out, he goes, nostalgia is baked into Star Wars. It is George being nostalgic for the the serials that he grew up on. So it, it, it's definitely in the, the 
the DNA in Star Wars. Yeah, that was the thing he originally said, was he wanted to make a Flash Gordon serial. In fact, looked for the rights. They were tied up, I believe, in Dino De Laurentiis. Even with yep. Coppola's help after winning those Oscars, they couldn't snatch the, the rights away from him. So he said, screw it, I'm going to make my own thing. And, yeah. uh, and then he, he worked really hard <laughs> on the script for many, many years. He did all right, that kid. That Georgie. <laughs> yeah, we can keep him, I guess. So the year of the... Let's just get down to some brass tacks on the facts here. The year, the year of release... The year was 1977. <laughs> May 25th, specifically, is the release date. Mm-hmm. The budget, $11 million. Didn't start there, but eventually crept up to $11 million, With a box office of $775.8 million and wow. growing. So what was what did we talk about with American Graffiti? It was like seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand made one hundred and twenty-four million. You know, so yeah, yeah. like twelve thousand percent on their investment or something. Yeah, Lucas <laughs> touches it this this time of in this era, and it just turns to gold. In fact, no movie had previously crossed the five hundred million threshold in its initial release. Star Wars got mm. up to five hundred and fifty. Uh, the combined box office of the films of the franchise, which this launched, of course, is over ten billion. It's the second highest grossing franchise to Marvel because Marvel has twice as many movies, I suppose. So it has yeah. twice as much box office, uh, topping $22 billion. Godfather made more money than anybody had ever seen in 1972. And this is the beginning of the film Brats. And then just three years later, Jaws, another film brat, made more money than anybody had ever, ever, ever seen. And then here comes George Lucas. Already had made the most profitable movie of all... That's what people don't realize. Before Star Wars, he'd already made the most profitable movie of all time in American Graffiti. What a wonderful, crazy time. Just a bunch of crazy guys making films to, to top each other. You know? Oh, <laughs> his casting session is with uh, Brian De Palma. You know, it's like, oh, you're casting yeah. Carrie? Let me cast Star Wars alongside that. Like, all yeah. these guys working alongside each other. Yeah the, yeah, the phrase I coined during our American Graffiti show was genius incest, and I stand yeah. by it now. I like it. There was just genius incest going on then as they all shared and commingled yeah. with each other's genius, Milius and Coppola and De Palma and Spielberg and Lucas. It was just crazy. Um, and I remember when I saw this, but I'd like to defer to our guest first. Ken, when, when, what was the first, your first experience with Take Star us back. Wars? Because I saw it in the theater. We'll get to me in a second. Um, because... Uh, don't tell the schmo down, uh, but I'm probably older than Roca. But let him, let John Roca continue to be the old man there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll try to fly under the radar. But Ken, how about your first Star Wars experience? Paul, first of all, you're doing great, man. You got beautiful skin, brother. You got beautiful you. skin. Yeah, I'm still grappling that. with calling it a new hope. I'm so entrenched in my first <laughs> time in the theater, having seen yeah, the yeah. movie. But anyway. um. Yeah, I was uh, I was a swaddled one year old when my parents went to the drive through uh, drive through. Well, they probably went to a drive through as well, but drive in to see it. Um, and so, obviously, I have no memory of that. And uh, but I and I missed Empire. I thought um, Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, and Buck Rogers were all the same, and even a little Hardware Wars. I didn't know what was what. I saw it all, but I didn't see it. Uh, but it wasn't until I was I was seven, so I uh, was seven in '83 when I saw Return of the Jedi. That's my first experience with with Star Wars. But then going back to A New Hope or Episode Four, whatever you want to call it, we can call it Star Wars. Uh, my first real experience was a a TV copy. Uh, uh, my dad taped it on uh, uh, whatever uh, was broadcast on back then, and so I remember the commercial breaks. I remember just the the the, the pan and scan. All that's that's how I was exposed to a new home. Yeah, that's how I experienced Alien, and it remains one of the scariest movies of all time. And mm-hmm. it did that to yeah. me through 
the fixture of a TV with commercial. I mean, there were commercials. I was still yeah. like, I can't even with this movie. And uh, yeah, I was way too young probably to have seen that even on television. But uh, Adam and I always talk about the HBO movies. Star Wars never got locked into that group. But when you were young, what was on HBO all the time when right. you were a kid? It's a shame Star Wars was was always withheld from that. But Or I would have seen it even more thousands of times. I remember it was such a big deal that when Showtime, I think, got the first rights to it. And they can only show it three times that month. And they had these big dates on the, right. on the poster. It was like, we can only show it three times. That's how much it was locked up. Yeah, my dad took me, uh, and I'm sure I'd seen movies before Star Wars, but I don't remember. But I remember sitting down going, we're going to go see this uh, adventure movie. seems fun. And uh, it was odd to think that because I know he was into spy novels and westerns. So, like, he wanted to go Mm -hmm. see a space Mm -hmm. movie. I'm like, oh, I want to see a space movie, too. And just, I specifically remember the cavernous Oneonta Theater in Oneonta, New York, my hometown, and just the, the opening shot of the... Uh, Imperial Star Destroyer going over my head. I'm like, what? And then Han Solo comes at you. Yeah. Forget it. I'm totally all in on this for the rest of my life. <laughs> I didn't know you were up there. Did the Yankees have a minor league affiliate there? They did time? for many moons, the Oneonta Yankees. <laughs> and then they became the Oneonta Tigers. And then uh, gotcha. because the Oneonta Yankees moved to Staten Island. Side, side note there. That's great. But yeah, I, I love that you guys experienced that, Paul. They actually have a, a just a vibrant... Uh, uh, memory of just seeing that Star Destroyer yeah. fly over. And it's, and seeing Mattingly play in person, but those two things. <laughs> my parents separated, so I had every Sunday with my dad. My dad saw this uh, theater in the theaters uh, six times, maybe eight with re-releases, because they would re-release yeah. it every year before Empire. But the interesting right. thing about Star Wars was, Star Wars was one of the few movies that did let you take it home. Because other right. movies, you went to go see it, and that was it. Uh, but right. Star Wars with the action figures and the books. Yeah. And I had the 33 and a third album, the story of Star Wars, which was all dialogue from the movie. Like I have, right. I have Star right. Wars memorized to this day because I would just listen to that over and over and over. Yeah, absolutely. And 33 and a third is also a great George Harrison album, right? I believe. There as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, as we're talking, I know this is audio, but I, you know, I'm holding my little uh, Harrison Ford Han Solo mi- Lego minifig. Yeah, that, that's it. And that that's the power of, of toys, but it's definitely the power of Star Wars toys. It is, it is, um, you know, you, you you took that world home with you and, you and you held it in your hand with your Kenner action figures or your Luke Skywalker mask you got from a cereal box. And, and that was me too. Uh, it doesn't matter the era, 77, 80, 83. That, that's what it was. And you got to expand the story, which just meant you were expanding your love of this world and this franchise. And I definitely was a prime example of that. And yeah, let's be honest, still am. Well, yeah, you say take take it home with you. I also take it to Chicago with me and clearly take it to LA with me because my garage yeah. right now, if you saw the free for all we did with Star Wars figures last year, those are yeah. my Star Wars figures. And I've got That's two of the good. big Darth Vader cases. I got the full size Millennium Falcon and Tauntaun and yeah. Land Speeder and more in a box labeled don't lay anything on top of this in the garage. <laughs> uh, there's, my mom just posted on Facebook a, a photo of us camping in like 1982, 81. And I'm there at the campground with all my Star Wars action figures playing. You know, that was right. my camping. I'm no, like, right. those went with me everywhere. That collector's case. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I, I grew up in, in, in Pismo Beach, California, so we'd head down to the sand dunes that you could go play in, and I'd bring my figures, and I, I had Tatooine in front of me. Oh, my God. It was just Oh, but you you were robbed of playing Hoth, because in Ohio, we got to play Hoth when it came to the winter. <laughs> that was the best. You bring all your toys out there in the snow, and boom. There was- yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're doing some research for this. I, I was unaware they shot some of the film in Death Valley, and now they shot Mandalorian right. there, so it's worth a trek out there to take, take a look at some of the locations where they filmed the... Uh, these two different Star Wars properties. I want to do that. The the uh, what is it? The three PO and R two approached Jabba's palace. I believe was out there, 
And I, 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 I've never been out here in LA 23 years now. I've never, it's not too far to do it. I just, I, I, I don't want, I want to do it. I wonder if I get oddly emotional, like surprisingly emotional. Like if I actually was there, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to make a point of trying that. I think I would. I, I, I always imagine if I ever made a vacation to Tunisia to see the Skywalker. Right house yeah. which which you know none of us have ever done but i think we've all wanted to i couldn't imagine standing there that the the, the joy i would feel but yeah you do have to go to tunisia mm-hmm. and that's the, where <laughs> that becomes problematic Death valley a little closer uh so let's go back to when lucas started writing this uh story um they always mm-hmm. talk about how he wanted to cash in on them well, cash in on or reflect the hero's journey <laughs> from joseph campbell and um yeah. eventually came up with a sci-fi dense journal of the wills i just love the time it took the the failed attempts and how big it got but also how a lot of his ideas particularly ideas from the prequels were in in that story on that white or or yellow legal pad of paper that he wrote Uh, i always give the example of uh he had the character mace windy Uh, (laughs) obviously changed to windu but it's naboo and a lot of things like that like this was in his Head. Uh, that's the thing I love when I look back at, at George and the writing process. It, he, it was so big and it was unwieldy, but the ideas were there. The world was there. Yeah, and even with American Graffiti behind him and all the Oscar nominations and box office it right. achieved, United Artists wouldn't get behind Star Wars. Um, Disney would not get behind Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And Universal would not get behind Star Wars. Eventually, Alan Ladd had faith in him and 20th Century Fox mm-hmm. kind of got behind him. This is like three movies in a row in the Ford Fiesta where we're talking about how no one believed in them. They did it anyway, and they're the biggest thing you ever saw. Yeah, I love. I, again, I know we're audio, but behind me is, there, is a Star Wars New Hope poster that is signed by Alan Ladd Jr., uh, who with without I think without Alan Ladd, without Laddie, we don't get what we have right now. We don't get to talk about it. I think uh, Laddie was one who was like, I don't know about this crazy space picture. I just knew about George, and that's all I invested in was him. So I love it. I love that story. And he was fully prepared for Star Wars to be a failure. Uh, because he was told constantly that this was going to fail by everybody he knew. That, and nobody on set could possibly have what Lucas had in his mind, you know, when they're hearing the the Welsh voice of Darth Vader and going, oh, this is going to be the worst movie of all time. They're not imagining all the technology he wants to put into it in terms of uh, sound mixing and special effects and all that. Nobody could see it but Lucas. Just, yeah, everything. And a giant talking dog. I mean, what's going on here? <laughs> what's going on here, indeed? I guess Chewbacca is based on Lucas's dog who would co-pilot when he would drive his car that he was sitting there and he thought that'd be a fun idea and of course just because you know this whole thing is mythic now the dog's name indiana indiana yeah. <laughs> and he told everybody they said what species what, what kind of dog is that and he's he said wookie if you look at any of the old behind the scenes photo of the original uh lucasfilm ranch and everything and all the people sitting around watching footage or whatever that big dog is in all those photos right. he was a, a mainstay and so you have a working title at one point that outdoes any other star wars title and they get long in the future the Adventures of Luke Starkiller as taken from the Journal of the Wills Saga 1, colon, The Star Wars. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I know you want to talk, Adam, about Ralph McQuarrie's uh, sketches, because, I mean, they're they're legendary at this point. And once again, something from that's just there to create, uh, you know, to give the studio an idea of what they're trying to make, ultimately becomes its own coffee table books. Now all the way up to The Mandalorian, that's how they do the credits. That's baked in now. Like that concept art thing became... Once again, all these things that had never been anything to any other movies, uh, Star Wars puts them front and center. 
had that been done before? Of course. But because of Star Wars, we all got to know that. Yeah. I would say, like, you know the names Joe Johnson, Phil Tippett, uh, Ralph, uh, uh, not Ralph, uh, 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 Dennis Muren, as I'm thinking of. Uh, uh, you, you know those names uh, because of their work on Star Wars. And that before that, you can't find an example of that. And Ralph McQuarrie is in that where, you know, just everyone knows. I used to collect trading cards with McQuarrie art on them from Star Wars. Let's go to those names because Industrial Light and Magic is created in 1975. Fox's visual effects department has been relatively disabled, so Lucas had to put a team together to do this himself, which is the theme of the last three episodes of the show. <laughs> John Dykstra and his team pretty much working out of a warehouse in Van Nuys doing digital motion control photography. They blew half their budget on four shots Lucas didn't care for and then hustled to do a year's work in six months. Yeah, and that warehouse, speaking of locations, uh, I used to play golf around the corner from it and didn't really realize it my entire time. Oh, and then one day I was like, what a legendary. Like, Where? They always talk about, uh, if you watch Empire Dreams, the doc there, Dykstra and those guys are, are on there and... Um, uh, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we yeah we were like uh, uh, Lauren Peterson, all that and those names. They're like, yeah, we were in a warehouse by the by the Van Nuys Airport. One day, I just looked it up and researched it. And yeah, it was literally around the course uh, around the corner from the Van Nuys Golf Course. <laughs> if you ever want to go, hit take taking nine holes in history. We've all watched the Empire of Dreams and all this stuff. That shot of the uh, the one of the ships crashing into the Death Star. They had that whole thing on its side. They had a camera in the back of a truck, and they're driving along that set, and they set off the explosion. That that place where they did that is so legendary to me. Like that outdoor uh, patio where they did that. I that I would just sit and stare at that piece of cement and go, "Oh my god!" You know what we should do, Adam? Uh, uh, Adam, you, me, and Paul should just one day when I'm I'm close to being vaxxed. I don't know where you guys are. We'll we'll just grab a sandwich, get in a car, and go to Van Nuys. Oh, I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. So much closer than Death Valley. Yeah. I never thought I would want to be excited about what you just said, but. <laughs> So March 22nd, 1976, principal photography begins, as do malfunctioning props, electronic breakdowns, a Tunisian rainstorm, etc. They have a rough go of it, as all independent films do. Um, the, the, and, for, for whom the, the, the gods wish to honor, first they test, as John Milius used to say. <laughs> that is so the way he would put that. No, Milius would say that with like a cigar and like right. a rifle in his hand. The gods wish to honor, first they test me. <laughs> yeah. All nine sound stages at Elstree Studios were used to accommodate the film, plus a second sound stage at Shepperton to house the massive Rebel hangar. So they're getting it done. They're getting it done. It's a big ass production, um, and uh, eventually, Mark Hamill gets in a car crash. Talking about things that are uh, messy on set and uh, messes up his his face so uh, which allows them to not be able to do any reshoots so you got like one and done with everything in star wars well that changes my perception of that because i thought oh mark hamill did star wars and he's like hey man i'm gonna get me a big fancy car that i can't handle and accidentally drive it off the highway like as a result of the money and fame or whatever but i didn't realize like nobody even knew who he was yet uh, that it, just driving his old car just something happened and then we get into post-production uh Jim Jimson, who I really never heard of, was the original editor. Yeah. Fired halfway through. And then Paul Hirsch and Richard Chu, who we know of, were brought in to join Marsha Lucas. Jimson's cut included the look at Luke's everyday life at Anchorhead hanging out mm -hmm. with Biggs. And so right, Ladd right. said, hmm, it kind of looks like American graffiti in space. 
cut. <laughs> so guys hanging out. It's like, no, we've had too much guys hanging out like you did in American Graffiti. So they cut to instead like 20 minutes of droids blooping and bleeping. Which was a radical way to tell the story. I mean, yeah. everything is, yeah. it's so accepted now that this is the most famous movie of all time, the most celebrated movie of all time. Everything in it is radical. We have two mm-hmm. droids for the first half hour of this movie. Are you insane? I mean, I'm speaking now as the studios in 1976. George, right. this is insane. Nobody's ever... I, we need people. And he even cut out uh, Luke hanging out with his friends. Uh, yeah. Just radical stuff all through this movie. Yeah, best, I guess the Jabba scene was cut because of bad camera work. Yeah, that old uh, that Scottish guy doing the hot my boy. Hot my boy. <laughs> so an early screening it gets shown to the Genius Incest crew, De Palma, Milius, and Spielberg, and... They, he, Lucas did not like their response, I guess, except for no. Spielberg, who saw promise in it. But, of course, to his uh, credit, it didn't have finished effects. And when they needed to do the trench run, they just kind of cut to World War II dogfight footage <laughs> of planes. Not going to get the effect across that you want, I'm sure. He's taking all the trappings of the genre of a war movie, including dogfights, and going, what if we did that mm-hmm. in space? Sword fights, what if we did that with lasers? You know, gunfights, all that stuff. He's taking all the things have to do with war and war pictures and putting them in there. While also analyzing what it maybe means to, you know, why we shouldn't fight wars. <laughs> it's wonderful. Uh, yeah, no, but I, I think it also, it, it connects in a way, especially in 77. I don't know. Uh, Gramps Preston over here can tell us there, but I, like <laughs> you're in the theater. It, it, it's in another world, but you're connecting to that. That's, that's why I, I still feel the most important shot. It might be Luke and the twin sons because it's such a real human moment uh, and the music swells, and it's not disco, it's not this, it's this classic or orchestra style. And yeah, it's a kid looking at the sunset. We've seen the shot a hundred times. There's just right. two suns. It's right. just the great little alt to a classic uh, a shot like that. It just mm-hmm. happens to be two suns. Just, just two. Just two. So you collected a number of great moments <clears throat> from Star Wars for yeah. your book, Ken. You just mentioned one right there. Yeah. What, what else stands out to you as your favorite moments? From Star Wars, from from A New Hope, or just Correct. general? No, yeah, see, no, there no, I go again. No. I can't. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I have no uh, problem with it. I just, you know, it's embedded in just, it. Star Wars. It's embedded. We still call it Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, the, the trench run stuff and just the the drama. Han Solo returning uh, is and coming back to save the day. Uh, the the tension of the trash compactor scene, uh, but which which is also mixed with comedy, which is a bit of a staple for Star Wars, and I think that sometimes gets forgotten. Uh, it is silly. It is whiz bang. It is it is Saturday morning cereal. So you're going to have our heroes about to die, and uh, a golden robot's thinking that he killed them all. The trash compactor. Yeah, cliffhangers. It's lots of lots of cliffhangers. Like every 20 boom, minutes boom, is boom, something. Yeah. And you could feel that much more in some of the newer, like the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And now here's the yep. cliffhanger. How's he going to get out of this? And then. Gets yeah. out of it onto the next thing. Serial, serial, yeah, serial adventure. That's you, you. You don't want to change the DNA, and it's not. It's not. George didn't create all this stuff, and he'll never tell you. He just says, "No, I just, I just took all these things and 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 just wanted to pay homage to it, but tell a story with these tools." And and that's one. That's one of the big ones about Star Wars: adventure, problem, escape, adventure, problem, escape. And what I've said a number of times in different movie guys' adventures about Star Wars: it's a '70s movie. You know, it's a product of the 70s movies that, uh, you know, there's, there's always the argument to be made that after Star Wars, filmmakers didn't want to make the great American movie anymore. They wanted to make the great American mm. hit, the great American blockbuster. Mm. But uh, I think mm. that taking that, I think taking that the best parts of 70s movies into sci-fi that Lucas did makes this my favorite yeah. one. 
Yeah, and the haircuts and all the people on the uh, on the Death Star definitely keep you in the seventies. They got the sideburns, you yeah. know. <laughs> that old Biggs mustache. Well, I think Peter Jackson referred to it, but maybe not first, as a used future look. You know, where the future wasn't sparkly and clean and shiny; it was uh, it was lived in, and that was perhaps not seen as frequently as when Lucas presented it. Yeah, you can feel and see the dirt on the stormtroopers and, and the faces of the people. Yeah, before this, sci-fi had all been bright, shiny Star Trek ships. I mean, you could see what sci-fi looked like with the Star Trek TV show. Everything was brand mm-hmm. new. And that was that was a pretty radical idea, is that, uh, you know, these this is like an old tank division type war movie. You know, everything's uh, covered mud and sand, and it's it's, yeah, it's yeah. not a glorious or glamorous life. we got to talk about Ben Burt as well as we move into now the post-production. Um, the sound library is just insane. He got a special achievement Oscar because this is groundbreaking work that he does for the uh, audio side of, of inventing Star Wars. Uh, tell me what these effects were. A, uh, a tense steel cable being struck. Uh, that was uh, the blasters. That was the blaster. Right? Yeah. So it the blaster sound effect, you yeah. just hit, you know, those taut cables. Tension wires. That's something that fit, yeah. Uh, the hum of idling interlock motors on aged movie projectors mixed with interference caused by a TV set on a shieldless microphone. <laughs> Uh, like you do that. Uh, that's the hum of the lightsaber. That's right? true. That's the, <laughs> that is true. Vroom, vroom. Wow, which yeah. is crazy. And then, of course, sounds made by dogs, bears, lions, tigers, and walruses mixed together. That's uh, the, the mighty Chewbacca. That is Chewbacca, the mighty Chewbacca. Right? That is true. Ben Burt, man. I mean, he made that all seem right. And, and pew pew pew, which is the, the 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 now the the meme of how that those blasters sound or whatever. It's just it represents so much to us, and it's so. It's so just, it felt right. Every sound felt right. I think he was uh, the right person, in the right place at the right time. And his father tells the story of, of what you're describing with that, the wires. It's just Bert used to take his, his uh, recorder and go around and just, what does that do when I do that? And, and he always kind of had that sound in the back of his, his bag, so to speak, of that, that kind of sounds like a laser or something like that. And it all just kind of synced up, man. And I love that. Yeah, I've heard so many stories of Ben Burt uh, carrying his recorder everywhere that like there was somewhere he was on a construction site and the, the size of the gravel or whatever, when the, the truck would go over it and he just stopped the construction workers and he goes, can you just, you know, and he put his microphone down. Could you just back over these rocks again or something? I think it was something like that. And I think <laughs> yeah. it became the rolling boulder and Raiders or something like that. But yeah, that's oh, wow. everywhere he went. Like everything was a potential sound effect. <laughs> these teamsters look at it. What? Huh? What? What do you want us to do? Sound boy? <laughs> <laughs> just being one of the greatest movies uh, ever made. Just do it real quick. Yeah. Oh, and 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 uh, the Darth Vader's breathing, like every thing mm-hmm. with I mean, everybody did an impersonation of that, and and you could live yeah, with yeah. Darth Vader with your action figure because of that breathing and that sound effect and that voice. Well, that and, and 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 Williams' music, I'm sure we'll get to, but it's like George. George will be the first to tell you these are silent movies. Uh, dialogue just gets in the way. Uh, well, let's get to why we're here. Harrison Ford on Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Right, uh, Harrison Ford gets cast in this, and note to aspiring actors, uh, Ford is eventually considered for Han Solo because he's brought in, because, of, as I mentioned, he's in the genius incest bubble, and he gets called in to be a reader for Lucas on Star Wars. He's reading with all these potential actors until they realize, you're the guy. You're the one. <laughs> Nobody else. doing this. And uh, who else was in the mix with uh, Kurt Russell, Christopher Walken, William Catt, and Adam, you mentioned that this was a dual casting session with Carrie. Yeah. So Cat didn't get Han Solo, but he got in Carrie. So he got in Carrie. 
show up kids. That's half the win right there. <laughs> yes. Always say yes. <laughs> do you want to do this thing? Yes. <laughs> and I guess Ford is notorious for saying, uh, you can type this shit, but you can't say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Referring to a lot of the, uh, the you know, space dialogue you'll find in, in Star Wars. It's yeah. Clearly, well, looking at the movies we've covered so far, this is new territory for him. Well, <laughs> to oh, yeah. talk about blasters and shield. And Mark Hamill tells the story of his audition as well, mm. which is that it's this gobbledygook. It's again, you, you can type this stuff, but you sure can't say it, yeah. George. But the, the 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 cast members, if you ever see the, I'm sure you have, Ken, the old black and white videotape yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. of all the original auditions it is just hands down that he picked the right actors they really do sell this gobbledygook you know <laughs> yeah yeah no they do it and, and the three of them the chemistry it really works um uh, I, I I did also I wrote wrote about uh, in uh, summer of seventy seven after this movie had come out and already kind of been a been a hit a, a whirlwind of a success. Uh, Mike Douglas interviews um, Hamill, Ford, and, and Carrie Fisher together on a show, but he brings out Carrie first because they didn't know what to do with these other guys. They're like, well, we got Eddie and, and Debbie's daughter. We'll bring her yeah. <laughs> first, and which is great. I'm such a Carrie Fisher fan, but but um, the three of them together and they talked about it. we were cast almost as a team because the way it all worked and, and then George uh, and his casting directors and everyone there smart moves giving this this is a theme throughout the entire movie but of course it's going to come down to the cast to do this more than the models even is that giving reality get, speaking these lines with complete seriousness and the assumption that these people have lived an entire life in a galaxy far far away that when he refers to oh it's you know the uh Spice Mines of Kessel or whatever. These are just yeah. things that are known. It's so thick with all that stuff. And, uh, man, what a cast, huh? Well, biggest box office yeah. movie of yeah, all time. Absolutely. Beats his buddy Steven Spielberg, who had the previous record with Jaws, only to have him come back uh, five years later and beat him again with E.T., the extraterrestrial. What a competition between those two those two chums, huh? <laughs> two pals. Hey, apparently, right, wasn't it Lucas who watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind and said, I would... Uh, this is going to be the biggest movie of all time. Spielberg's Star Wars is going to be the biggest movie of all time. Okay, well, what do you say? We, uh, I'll, I'll bet you the two point five percentage points on the movies <laughs> that that Close Encounters is going to be bigger. Spielberg uh, still apparently yeah. collects to this day on Star Wars, <laughs> based on their friendly little genius incest. Uh, uh, and uh, where's Lucas when it opens? Hawaii. He's sure, it wasn't going to work. <laughs> He's developing Raiders. Uh, on an island with Steven Spielberg. Uh, in, the, in the great book uh, uh, by Chris Taylor, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, uh, I think the, the first weekend, George starts making his first tweak to A New Hope or, or Star Wars. He, he re-records some audio. He, he was never happy with that from the beginning, he, he, all of it. And, and that's why the special editions, everything that came later on, like up to McClunky this past uh, year or so ago, like George is not done with those movies. He, 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 they had to be yanked away or sold out from under him before so he could like, and even then McClunky was his last gift to all of us of uh, I'm not done tweaking. And, uh, was that a Lucas right choice, McClunky? Beginning. Yeah, it was uh, it was George. Uh, yeah, yeah, because uh, and he had done it. He'd done it before the sale. Huh. It's it's been sitting there in in the vaults uh, waiting. And, and then Disney Plus was the <laughs> was the first time the world saw McClunky. There was no way, no reason to do a Dolby mix of a movie like six theaters in America could play mm. that. But Lucas realized someday it will be every theater. And so he did right. this. Uh, he did a mono mix for most of the the theaters in America. 
And therefore, while he was doing the, the, the Dolby mix, he forgot the movie had opened. And so he's in Hollywood mixing this. He's not done with Star Wars yet, and yet it is in theaters. And that's the story right. where he was at the Hamburger Hamlet on Hollywood Boulevard, uh, just grabbing lunch between his mixing sessions to, to make the Dolby mix. And there's a line gathering along the window as he's sitting there in the window eating. He's like, he says to Marsha, he's like, I wonder what this line's for. Let's uh, check it out. And we get out and they follow the line all the way around the corner. And it is for Star Wars, of course, <laughs> which they had forgotten had opened because they were still finishing a uh, different version of it. And it makes me miss Hamburger Hamlet, which was a good <laughs> And it's number one at the box office. It's first three weeks. And then The Deep comes out and goes away. And Star Wars comes back to the number one spot in its seventh through 22nd weeks. Wow. Uh, the uh, And it plays, some theaters, I guess, play it for, uh, it's like 60 theaters in the country just played it for the whole year. Wow. Which you don't get yeah. anymore, which just doesn't happen. Yeah. No, so, movies don't stay out for a whole year anymore. Then it's nominated for 10 Oscars. It won six. Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Film Editing, Original Score, of course. Mm. Best Sound and Best Visual Effects with Ben Burtt's special Oscar and another special Oscar to John Dykstra and his team for Scientific and Engineering. Uh, it did not win for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. The only acting nomination I think Star Wars has ever happened. But I want to ask you guys if... It was to be if there were to be another nomination for acting in the Star Wars universe now as broad as as it is. Well, who would you nominate? Is there anybody out there who's who's worthy of an Oscar nomination? I, I'd say Hamill, Last Jedi, but I think Hamill and Empire Strikes Back is just tremendously underrated. Considering he had to do most of that by himself with a puppet, a Muppet, and Frank Oz is great and everything. I know everyone says Hamill, Last Jedi. I I. I I do not think Hamill gets the full credit for Empire Strikes Back. If you're going to give away an Oscar for three Lord of the Rings movies, I say you give one Oscar to Mark Hamill for all three of the original trilogy because he is great in Empire. <laughs> but if you take the overall arc of Tachi Station onto I'm a Jedi like my father before, I mean, that work is phenomenal. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and, and uh, you know, but you, you, you mentioned it, you know, Peter Jackson in the battle for the Oscars with, with, in, with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which. Uh, you know, Two Towers might have been the one that should have won, right? Maybe I don't know. You know, I'm not an expert on Oscar races, but uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're, it's ne- those films are never going to get their due because of the reputation that was probably pre Star Wars. You would have think Star Wars would have changed that. I get it's big, popcorny, but a lot of you said something earlier, Paul, about just you know, uh, make, making the great American film to now the blockbuster. And Star Wars and Jaws are part of the the dawn of the blockbuster age, and therefore they almost they're just naturally no fault of their own undercut. They undercut themselves in awards because no no one seems that that they're they don't know they're supposed to take it seriously. But it's going back to our conversation at the top where we joke about us being old guys and old old fans and everything. But we grew up with this. This is our art. So we we don't need to grow up and put the toys away. This these are our stories that moved us, and we all take it seriously. I just would love, uh, and you know, I, I'm not saying every you know Transformers movie deserves an Oscar, but I'm just saying these movies, these big movies, they, they do work for me. And some of the the Marvel stuff, Black Panther, getting some love, and uh, you know, some certain moments in, in in some of the bigger MCU films. I I think I want them to be more accepted as award movie f- worthy films because they're hard to make. These these are not easy movies to make. It's it's it, uh, certainly. Star Wars comes out of nowhere. That's just, there. Nobody had conceived of anything like that, and that from production design to, to special effects to the score to everything, it brought so much together. Which is what films do. This is what we love about movies. They are this collaborative art. They are this formation of all these things. And look at all the factors that were brought together to make this one movie. 
that became a giant success. Well, did, did, what are we supposed to hate it now that it became a giant success? But that's the thing. We did take it seriously because we were supposed to. That's what George wanted. This, this remember those mists and fables we grew, grew up with. This is for you now. So uh, we talk about you know Oscars and everything. Those they're never going to look at those movies. They have this weird old antiquated view of it in my mind. They they are from like the sixties. Going to <laughs> kids films. Let's go do this. Right. These uh, are not serious it, films. It, 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 yeah, yeah, they're not serious films. Yeah, and they're fun. They're whiz bang, but it's. They're important. They're important films. Well, I got two big points to make about that. First of all, <clears throat> I always loved the 70s into the early 80s because it seemed like the best films being made were also aligned with the most popular. Like you mentioned Transformers. Never in a million years would those be nominated right. for major Oscars. Right. It's won some tech stuff because of right. how you know sure. complicated yeah. those are to make. But back in the day, the big box office winners, Godfather, Rocky, Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars... Uh, the Sting, and so those won the box office. Your award winners: Godfather, Rocky, Star Wars, Empire, yeah. The Sting. They they that those lines crossed a lot more back then than they yeah. used to today. I don't know where the disconnect right. came because uh, maybe the blockbusters aren't as good. But the second thing I'll say is, and it goes right up to this Oscars that we just had back in two thousand eight. The Dark Knight got snubbed, and I think the. Uh, Academy went, oh, we should have nominated that for Best Picture. It's like the biggest movie on the planet. We got five movies no one really cares about nominated for Best right. Picture. Next year, we're going to make 10 nominations available for Best Picture. Mm. And they do. And movies like District 9 get an Oscar nomination right. for Best Picture. So it's like, okay, we're folding right. in the popular movies. Turns out they can have yeah. up to 10. So this year, they had eight. And I look at the two remaining right. slots and go, come on, you got a bunch of, this is a year when no one saw a lot of stuff. Slip a soul in there. Put The Invisible Man in there. Yeah. Something, I mean, those are both excellent movies. That I mean, The Invisible yeah. Man just tr- just turned that genre on its ear. I thought it was brilliant. With a great lead performance. Like, here's a movie you could make a lot of hu- uh, hubbub for. And a ton of people saw it right before the pandemic yeah. and during. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's room for 10 nominees. I say you take them up on all 10 and throw some popular movies in there that exceed yeah. in their genre and I think exceeding in your genre deserves an award you don't have to necessarily make a drama yeah, to win. I, I agree that exceeding your genre is a great way to say it because again I'm not, I'm not suggesting every big blockbuster because it changed you mentioned like Rocky go to Rocky to Rocky 4 look at the difference <laughs> you know uh, yeah. and that's kind of the industry changed the industry started becoming that and the dividing lines and it might have been the old industry the old the old timers being like uh, these popcorn films are going to you know are, are messing up our art and, and, and there's probably some truth to that during some, that era but uh, we love all these 70s filmmakers and they're all taking the genres that they loved as kids that were now trash genres that were now you know biker yeah. movies easy rider the biker movies were trash but they made easy rider you know monster movies monster movies were trash but spielberg made jaws you know, mob movies mm. mob movies were total like rat it hat hat you dirty rat you know but not yeah, when it yeah. gets into coppola's hands and and then here comes lucas with sci-fi you know, like sort yeah. of whip some respectability or at least seriousness, taking them seriously. You know, that that Lucas never wrote off the sci-fi movies. Yeah, we can see those, yeah. the spaceships on the strings. But what if you couldn't? Uh, the most successful film merchandising ever, of course, valued at approximately 30 billion dollars. And that was nine years ago. So um, that stat came out and uh, Lucas took a five hundred thousand dollar cut from his paycheck to take full ownership of the franchise merchandising rights and the ability to make a sequel so he's uh did the right thing there. that is that <laughs> is one of the best facts that he gave up it a is. bunch of money so that he could keep action figure rights who's gonna want that george yeah. and sequel rights why don't you make this one first yeah. george but <laughs> how far ahead he was seeing yeah. double down yeah. on his vision that's just like there's you know that's such a big balls yeah. move 
special edition comes out and grosses 138 million dollars making it the most uh, the highest grossing reissue of all time and who gives it a negative review pauline kale and uh. that's our show <laughs> <laughs> but of course she does right yeah. but we are we are on the ford fiesta podcast here let's talk some han solo moments okay because i've always said star wars it, it's already the best movie you've ever seen and then han solo enters well, going back to your book again of the moments that make up the greatest movie of all time, for me, it's you mentioned it briefly. Solo returning at the end. That's my favorite. I mean, I'm seven. Yeah. I'm going what? You know, like because he's my favorite guy. And he's like, he left. All right, well, go, Luke, go get him. And then he shows up. I'm yeah. like, he's the man. He's become my favorite character in anything yeah. ever. So yeah. that's my favorite moment. Yeah, and in that in that piece I wrote in the book, I referenced that uh, the the guy who who uploaded that uh, actual recording from a '77 theater uh, uh, to YouTube, where it's the audio oh, the, wow. of the audience oh, really? react, reacting. Oh, I want to hear that. Yeah, d- look look oh, it up. Wow. It, it's it's awesome, and it, you know, it's 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 what you expect. It's people cheering, but just to see it, just see how it hit, and and it's and it's the whole thing, it's whole sequence, and the blow up, blowing up the disturb. But when Han returns, man, it's um, it's it's uh, it's easy to say it's all a trope now. And, you know, now the audience would be like, oh, I knew he was going to come back. Um, you didn't necessarily know that back then. But also when you're young, you don't know. It makes sense. And that, that's the what one of the things Harrison Ford brought so just brought so much to that role and, and did so well. But it was just like and, and it's such a moment of victory for Harrison Ford and that character. And, and, and I always say it's just, you know, that is that is that is Han, the core of Han. He he. he he, Leia says it, you know, Star Wars is about choice. It's about destiny bringing you to choice. And he's, some, no one's going to make it for him. He's got to make it for himself. And I bet Chewie was in his ear the whole time going, remember, remember, remember you left Infant's Nest on Severine? Remember you did you did this all the time and you're going to leave him to die? You're going to leave him to die? We can't do that. Or Chewie just sat there silently and Han goes, you're right, you're right. We're going to go back because he knows what's right. It's always in him. He's not a bad guy. Uh, he, he's just that rogue scoundrel. He wants to be something uh, in spite of himself. So, and when Han Solo finally shows up, and, and as a kid, this is definitely my favorite character, and to this day, this character rocks. I'm already in it for the Luke Skywalker. I'm already in it for Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm loving Jawas. I'm loving R2 and 3PO. And then Han Solo enters. But I love that in a classic Star Wars move, he enters with a sidekick, this giant furry thing, and their relationship's never explained, and that's just who they are. They're, they're friends. Why would he have to explain, oh, and I I owe a life debt to this guy. No, no, no. Oh, it just, yeah, yeah. I'm just with an eight foot tall Wookiee. The, the overwriting <laughs> that would happen today. Of course, I, you know me, I think it's a plague in Hollywood yeah. today. It's this over. Let's yeah. talk uh, uh, too much about what's going on. We get it. You're friends. Yeah. Get to the real part yeah. of the, the stuff we need to talk about. Which yeah, you're friends with the dog. the ship and doing the things in the plot. Because then someone will make a YouTube video of 10 plot holes in the movie. We don't know how they're friends. How did they meet? Plot hole. And it's just, yeah, it's just, God, it's just you're ridiculous. Right. God, it's terrible. You know? Uh, but yeah, so Han Solo comes with Chewbacca and the Millennium Falcon. I mean, this is just like this universe stuff. It's just so thick. It's it's so wonderful. Yeah, and and the Falcon is a character in in and of itself, as we know. But uh, it just makes sense. And 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 just uh, the fact that the running joke is uh, you you came in that thing, uh, you know, and, and all those things. And but but Han believes it, and Han believes in this life that he wants, and that's kind of it. Everyone everyone sees something 
But Harrison plays what Han believes is there, uh, in, in spite of sometimes the facts, because he, he knows what's inside. He knows the heart. He knows the core. Yeah, this doesn't look like much, but but it's, it's got to work yeah. out. So do I. Uh, and, and that's the energy that Harrison was able to bring, the senior member of the, that trio, you know, uh, what early 30s when he made the film. Perfect casting is Harrison for. Okay, and a couple other good moments, uh, Han Solo moments. Uh, the uh, I ain't going anywhere until Luke says she's rich. And then he decides to go on to the uh, the Death Star mission because he's like, I- I- I'm out. You know, I got you here. I'm out. Yeah. Uh, that's such a yeah. key Han Solo moment. He's always running away. Harrison, uh, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, it, you know, is, is my favorite Star Wars character. Indiana Jones is my favorite cinematic character for whatever that's uh, worth for this conversation. But for Han Solo, Han Solo is my, my guy. I'm a Han Solo guy. And a lot of people in my generation, you're Luke or Han or, you know, whatever whatever the choices were for you. Um, but he, the, it's a battle in himself. It is about our choices. And I've grown and matured with the character. I love in Force Awakens that we meet Han again and he has once again run away from a problem, <laughs> even though he knows it he shouldn't. And that's, that's, that's all I've said. What does he do? He, they blow up the, like a lot of people think he does not join the rebellion at the end of New Hope. He gets that medal. That's great. Chewie doesn't get one until later. But, you know, Han gets, he's not part of the rebellion until Return of the yeah. Jedi. When when he is General Solo, that's why Leia looks to him and is like, "You've committed right. to something. Now I can truly commit to you. I yeah, I can't allow myself to love because I've got the bigger things on my shoulders. That I got. That's part of Leia's journey. But but the first thing they blow up the Death Star, and the first thing we see, in, you know, in, in 1980, Hans." Ready to run away again. He doesn't want any part of this. He's out of here. He's Captain Solo of the Millennium Falcon, not of the Rebellion. And Harrison plays that all the way through, and he plays it all the way up to Force Awakens, too. Uh, Key Han Solo moment, my favorite moment is, and you just don't see it coming, is they're on the Death Star. She says, you came in that thing. Uh, You're braver than I thought. And I love his response there is always, nice. Nice. But then they turn the corner (laughs) to the Stormtroopers, and Han chases them. (laughs) Screaming. (laughs) <laughs> that's I mean that has always mm-hmm. thrilled me and made me laugh so hard and if yeah. you want a symbol of, of Han Solo chasing the problem chasing the problem into a dead alley in a dead corner where there's nowhere yeah. left to run and then he has to retreat <laughs> it's the great it's another Han trait run there what does he do at Empire he, he the door opens it's Vader boom doesn't think he shoots return of the Jedi there's those scouts down there we're gonna go get him hey it's me. Hey, it's me. Uh, Force Awakens. How are we going to land on Starkiller Base? Uh, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. We're going to come out of hyperspace pretty much on the planet. We'll crash land. Don't worry about it. It's Han. Yeah, they really keep the character remarkably consistent throughout the, the sequel trilogy. Certainly yeah. in Force Awakens. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. really nice to see classic Han try to talk his way out of something yeah. uh, in over his head and then figures the way out. And we'll talk about Force Awakens. November, maybe? In a All while. Right. Uh <laughs> So let's take a look at the Ford definitive list of essentials. Things mm-hmm. we think Harrison Ford is best known for. And then does he do them? Righteous anger. He doesn't really do that here. That's more of a Jack Ryan thing. Does he point? Mm. The pointing is a big deal. Ooh. You find this job. I'm trying. I'm trying to think. Because I think it, I think in Empire he does a lot of pointing. He certainly right? does in the hallway does with the... Uh, when he says, I'm in it for the money, he points at himself. He goes, look, yeah. look, princess. Doesn't he point at her there? Look, Princess. Look, your worshipfulness. Let's get one thing straight. I take orders from just one person, me. Uh, he, he does. He does. Right. Yeah. There was a point. Maybe yeah. that might be the birth of the point because yeah. I don't think we've seen many of them up till now. I don't think he's pointed yet. He just. He's got to turn that point outward. But yes, the point's there. He's working. <laughs> he's working. Smile and charm, absolutely. Shout or growl. Of course, he yells at the stormtroopers. Always running mm-hmm. after him. <laughs> 
and does he hit a guy? Now this will take us to the Harrison Ford punch count, which so far, after one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies, is still holding steady at one. One. Seven movies, he's yes. only punched a guy once. I don't think he punches anyone. Maybe to the end or the biker scout, right? He's flinging around, hitting him, hitting him with a log or something like that. I don't. I don't recall. Yeah, it's more of an, an indie thing, I guess, than a Han thing. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, tries right. to take a punch you're at Lando right. and Empire, but fails. Uh, so that is a That's punch. Technically, we'll true. get to that one. But I think in Star Wars yeah. proper, no punches, mm-hmm. which means the only person he's punched, even going through Star Wars, <laughs> is Jack Lemon. In the movie Love. Yeah, back in 1967 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that, Ken? Or we're here, here to inform you any uh, Harrison Ford uh, stuff you need to know. D- d- when you pitched me this podcast, I did. This is this is what I envisioned. <laughs> this is what I, and I'm glad to be These here. These are the facts you want coming out of this nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> All no. right. Well, uh, oh, yes. Uh, well, also, I want to say, Paul, uh, you've been through this this journey so far uh, from Dead Heat and a Merry-Go-Round through this. Um the Harrison Ford coming out of the conversation into Star Wars, did did you think of anything different now that you've seen Harrison Ford from the conversation, American Graffiti, Getting Straight, Journey to Shiloh, Time for Killing, and Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round in Love? Well, I can tell you, Lucas, mind untapped potential in Harrison Ford. I mean, none of this was on display. Maybe a little no. Bob Falfa, but he's still super restrained. He's refined to the car, you know, so he's... Mm got lines where he intimidates and where he sings some enchanted evening right. which is probably my favorite scene in that movie um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, but he, nothing quite like what's on display with han solo just to know that's there and trusted after yeah. not seeing it in its full glory in all the right. movies up till now kudos to lucas for taking that risk because he unleashed an icon yeah yeah this is the real yeah. first harrison ford movie we've watched a lot of movies with harrison ford yeah. in them but this is the first harrison ford movie i think we've covered on the ford fiesta that's true. We forgot to mention how Harrison Ford is he in how this? How Harrison Ford is he? It's a, it's like a it's like a hundred percent or ninety five or a hundred. It's it's the establishing yeah. shot of a Harrison Ford movie. The way he slides into that yeah. the, into the booth in the cantina. The way he slides in. Here's a movie yeah. star right yeah. here. Yeah. No, I think I I think in the nineties is right. I think by Empire and Raiders, it's Harrison yeah. Ford. Like it, it's that that template that's uh, going to make a lot of money and a, and a lot of uh, and influence a lot of people. Um, but you're right. He's he's getting this is his first one for his first time out of the gate as himself, mm-hmm. maybe. And his first line is Han Solo. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. I love that. <laughs> Han Solo, Captain of the Millennium Falcon. You haven't heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's the ship that made the Kessel Run, unless it's 12 parts. Any final thoughts, or we should get to your uh, to your plugs, Ken? Thank you for having me on this one. Uh, um, you know, so, uh, being such a Star Wars fan like like we are, and just it's, it's uh, been a part of our lives for, for decades and decades and decades in some cases. Um, but I just love going back to the beginning and to see where it just it, it went, where it, where it expanded from, and what George had in his mind, and, and how he just was like, don't worry, you'll see, you'll see, you all will eventually see. All right, well, check Ken out at the Good People Association. Yeah. Dot fun. Yeah, what please. Is G- <laughs> yeah, G- the, G- the GPA dot GPA fun. You can go to my website. Yeah, uh, my website website is kennapsock.com. Uh, from there, yeah, if you want to pick up my book, Why We Love Star Wars, it, it is. Uh, you can link from there. I have a couple left if you want to get uh, autographed uh, signed copies or personalized copies from me. Um, whichever term sounds less ego-driven. So I think personalized not copy. Um, uh, and then I'll hopefully I'll restock on those too. So yeah, thanks for having me, uh, boys. I, I always love what you uh, you all 
do and and you just celebrate movies in just a specific uh, specific fun way. I enjoy. We link up to that. It's been nice having conversations with you, not recorded about these sort of things. And I had yeah. said for years, like I stopped talking Star Wars with people because they were just, I mean, I'll go ahead and use the term. They're beneath me. I mean, it's just like, oh, why, why, why would I talk Star Wars with you? You don't know what the hell you're talking about. But I meet someone like Ken yeah. and uh, and we yeah. hole up in the corner of the bar on the sunset there. And, and I'm like, I'm enjoying yeah. talking Star Wars with someone. <laughs> it's great. Plus the three of us can enjoy a good reference to Buddy Bianca. <laughs> Oh, there's a there's an outline. That wraps Star Wars. So much to say about that one. And if you have anything to say about this legendary film yourself, chime in at the Movie Guys pretty much everywhere in social media. And of course at themovieguys.net. Next week, shot before Star Wars, but released after, Harrison Ford returns to a tiny part with a few lines for the last time. In Apocalypse Now. So even in the special editions, Apocalypse Now shot first. <laughs>